Just one verse we're going to look at, and then we'll have you out of here in good time to go home and get your dinner, all right? How many of you are hungry for the dinner already, right? Uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now, this is a powerful verse. It speaks about his Son. It tells us about him being made of a woman. Well, every man's made of a woman. That's, that's just the way it is. But it particularly tells us about his Son being made of a woman because he came into the world just as a man. Made under the law. And in verse 5 he says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Here's the thought I want want us to grab for a moment, though. Just that thought, in the fullness of time. What does that mean? What does it mean, the fullness of time? Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we'll look at it. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word and help us, Lord. And oh, Lord, may it be that uh, you use your word to stir us and to draw us to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What does the fullness of time mean? God always seems to have a a waiting period. How many of you would say, listen, God never does things exactly according to my time schedule. He never does it according to my time schedule. He's always got a time schedule that's different. He's always working it in a different way uh, than I want want him to. He always has a waiting period. You know, we look back through through the Bible and we find God making people wait. He made Abraham wait 25 years now. Why after 25 years suddenly was it now? This is the fullness of time, Abraham. It's time. It's, it's now. Now we're going to do it. Uh, what about Israel waiting for Moses? One of the things that really puzzles me about Israel is they were crying out for uh, a deliverer from before Moses was born. Now remember, <clears throat> Moses came onto the scene. He was born in a time when all male babies were supposed to be cast into the river. They were supposed to be killed. That's not a happy day in the nation's life. That's not a nice time for them to, uh, <clears throat> to live through. And they no doubt were crying out for a deliverer from before Moses was born. But Moses is 80 years old before God uses him to deliver them. So <clears throat> there's at least 80 years there when they're crying out and waiting for a deliverer. Uh, <clears throat> what about Elijah and Israel? Remember the drought? The, the drought was for three and a half years. Listen, we have no conception of what that would do to a country. We, we, we think sometimes we'd like a drought for three and a half years, don't we? We'd like to drive some of the water that's out there. But uh, three and a half years of a drought kills people, kills animals. It, it destroys things. It renders people's life, life, life's work null and void. It's so destructive, yet God took three and a half years before he brought the rain, before he spoke to the situation. Uh, and when we look at this idea of the fullness of time, we've got to get, get, get our mind around some of the things that are involved in it. Uh, you know, if we were to look up the commentaries, they would tell us, and, and there's definite reason in this, right? That part of the fullness of time was just the situation that was there right then. You see, <clears throat> for the first time <clears throat> since Babel, there was a common language amongst people. There had never been a common language since the Tower of Babel, but now Greek was the common language. Um, Alexander the Great had blazed a trail from Greece to India and taken, conquered everything in front of him. Incredibly done. Uh, and um, years after, they took up the Greek language, and most people spoke Greek. Most people had uh, an understanding of Greek. So there was a language that people could now communicate in. 
There was a language that you could write the scripture in so they could actually communicate, they could understand in it. Uh, understand. Uh, Rome was in power at this time. And we look back at Rome and we think of Rome as being a very barbaric nation because of the things that they did. But do you know that Rome conquered uh, the barbarians? Rome actually brought peace. Now, it was Rome's peace on Rome's terms, and you messed up their peace and you paid dearly for it. But the reality is that, you know, Rome's power over the world brought peace. And they, they introduced a level of commerce because of their roads uh, and, uh, and people's ability, freedom to move around that really hadn't been known before. There was, there was much more travel. You, know, you had roads running all the way from England right down to Rome. You know, <clears throat> and uh, it, it was a different world because of that. We would also say, well, the spiritual climate was different. The Gentile philosophers, the great philosophers had passed off the scene, and there was a void. There was, the great thinkers weren't there. Uh, the great, great leaders, as far as thinking, were concerned. The Jews had been dispersed during the captivity, and they were living all over the world. And because their temple had been destroyed, they built synagogues everywhere they went. Right? So, you know, the, 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 there, was, there was a presence of the Jewish faith, because we notice that in the New Testament, that everywhere Paul goes, uh, he starts at the synagogue, and he preaches there, and, and he, he spreads it out from there. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> the, the, that fact for the Jew, Jews had an impact upon it, too. The Jews were also weary of being occupied. Right? Now, we know that. Uh, our nation still remembers the, uh, the, 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 the memory of being occupied. Right? And the Jews were weary of it. They were, they were, they were fed up. They did not want to be under the thumb of Rome. Life in some ways was good, but in many ways it was bad. It was hard for them. And they wanted to cast off the shackles of Rome. They wanted to cast it off. And you see, they had uh, in their spiritual uh, folklore, memory, whatever you want to call it for them, they had the reality that a Messiah is coming, a deliverer is coming. Someone is coming who's going to deliver us. And of course... They assumed that this deliverer would deliver them from the bondage of Rome. We would too. That's what they expected. They were expecting a deliverer that would come and that would deliver them. They were expecting a great military leader. They were not expecting the meek and lowly Christ to be their Messiah. That wasn't what they had their eyes upon. But <clears throat> so there are several things that line up and that make this a, a, a good time for the Savior to come. But you know, I wonder this morning, I wonder if there's not a much more simple idea that makes it the fullness of time. I wonder if there's not an idea that maybe is in addition to those ideas, but it's a much more simple idea. Just the idea that somehow God found hearts that were ready. Somehow he found hearts that were ready to receive. You see, if we look back at Abraham, well, <clears throat> why did it take 25 years? Because it took 25 years for God to get Abraham to the place he wanted him to be. That's why it took 25 years. Um, I don't know that uh, that's any slight to Abraham. I don't know that it could have been done quicker than that, but it took God 25 years to take this man and to, to break him and to make him into the man that he wanted to use. You know, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, he didn't just deliver them for their benefit. He delivered them to himself. He delivered them to be his people so that they would leave uh, Egypt and that they would come and that, that they would serve him and that they would worship him. That, that was the purpose of it. The, the, the plan was not just deliver them because they're, they're hurting. The plan was deliver them because I want them to be my people. I want them to walk with me. And you know, in order for him to do that, they had to, they had to come to a certain place in their lives, in their hearts, before he could do that. You know, <clears throat> Elijah and Israel, three and a half years of, of drought. Well, 
the nation was teetering on the point of going into idolatry so severe that it would just it was finished. It was just like the other nations. And God had to wait on these people. He had to wake them up from their slumbers, you might say. Ahab and all the false gods of Baal couldn't help. He had to wake these people up, help them to realize there's a God in heaven, and he controls us all. And he can bring fire from heaven, and he can bring the rain, and he is the Lord. That's what they're going, the point they're going to come to. But <clears throat> there had to come a time, a point when, when they believed that. And you see, God's always going after hearts. We look at the, out, the circumstances, and we look at the things that are happening outside, and we, you know, we make our judgments based upon what we can see. But it's always hearts God's going after. Always. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. God's eyes are always looking, always testing, always looking at people because he wants hearts that are right. He wants hearts that are turned to him. He wants hearts that are yielded to him, that are perfect towards him. For Samuel 13, verse 13, Samuel, speaking to Saul, says this of David. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But he says that the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. God sought him a man. And Saul was rejected because he did not keep the commandment, but God sought a man after his own heart. And you have to wonder, was Saul just putting in time until David was ready? You know, was Saul really ever the one that God wanted to be king? Was it that he was waiting on David, this boy, to be born and to grow up and to come to the place where he could be the king? You see, God's always looking for hearts. God's always looking and he's always searching for hearts that are given to him, hearts that are trusting him. And you know, the fullness of time was when God found that there were hearts that were trusting him. Now, I'm going to give you a list of some of the people that we know were waiting on him. But they were probably a lot more than that. Remember Elijah? Elijah thought, listen, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's serving you. I'm the only one that's giving myself to you. And God said, by the way, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There were other hearts out there besides Elijah's that had not given themselves to Baal. And, you know, we don't know all the hearts, but some of these hearts we do know. Some of these hearts were waiting. First of all, there's Mary. Mary's just a teenage girl. She's just a little thing. She's in the, in, in, in the flushes of beginning her life. She's about to be married. She's about, about to start a family, start a home. Everything is kind of moving along according to plan in her life. And all of a sudden, into this life comes this command. To bring forth the Savior. Now, <clears throat> that would have been fine, except it was terribly inconvenient. Because it looked like she had been wicked. It looked like she had done wrong. And it was going to look like that. And, <clears throat> you know, we have to imagine that uh, Mary knew very well that there was no way she was going to persuade people. By the way, this is God's baby. You know, <clears throat> how do you persuade somebody something like that? That's, that's just a ridiculous tale. And the angel came and explained to Mary what was going to happen. And what does she say? She says, be it done unto me according to thy will. There's a heart that's ready 
to serve God, a heart that's ready to do what God would have uh, her to do. What about Joseph? I mean, that's Joseph. Uh, Joseph <clears throat> uh, is ready to be married. Uh, he may have been older than Mary. <clears throat> Bible doesn't tell us that, but it looks like he may have been. But you know, <clears throat> he may have been. Re- he was ready to get married, preparing a home, preparing uh, a life. He had. He was a carpenter. He had a business. He, you know, he was excited and thrilled at the prospect of a new life with his wife. And and all of a sudden, he hears the story. You know, she's going to have a baby, but not yours. That's betrayal. And there's no way Mary could have explained it to him any differently. He just, humanly speaking, that's a ridiculous story. Humanly speaking, that just doesn't make sense. Humanly speaking, there was no way what Mary was saying could be true. So Joseph's got rejection, but not only has he got rejection, but he looks like a fool. I mean, he's done the right thing. He stood by this woman, and uh, he's ready to get married, and now he looks foolish. And God comes and says to him, Joseph, she's telling you the truth. I want you to go through with this. And you know what Joseph does? Joseph says, yes, Lord. And he does. And I don't think that was the start of a life of saying yes to God. Uh, It certainly wasn't the end of it because he says yes to God very, very publicly uh, several times after that. But Joseph says, yes, Lord. You know what that was? That was a heart that was ready. That was a heart that was prepared. You know, we looked on Sunday at Simeon. There was Simeon waiting, longing for the Messiah. So longing for the Messiah that God had said to him, Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. And so Simeon watched all the more. Probably watched everybody, every baby coming in to be dedicated. A heart that was prepared, a heart that was ready. A heart that was longing. There's also the prophetess Anna. She was there as well. She was involved in it, and, and she's waiting. Uh, what about the shepherds? Do you think they just left their sheep, you know, on a whim? Do you think that was the first thoughts they ever had of it? And, you know, you know, no, I think there's a reason why the shepherds were told. Because there were hearts that were ready there. What about the wise men? The wise men who came hundreds of miles over rough terrain <clears throat> in difficult circumstances, and they came to find the king. Just something they'd read. A star. There was a king going to be born in Israel and the time was now and they wanted to see. They wanted to know. Hearts that were ready. Hearts that were seeking. Hearts that were longing. You see, God is always looking for hearts that are seeking. Hearts that are longing for him. God is always waiting for us to come to the place where our hearts are truly given to him. You see, the fullness of time is when they were ready. The fullness of time when God could look down from heaven and say, yeah, these people are ready. These hearts are ready. These, 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 these hearts are, are waiting for me. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. It's Christmas morning. We've got gifts. We've got uh, food at home. We've got all kinds of blessings and all kinds of good things going on today. But let me ask you a question. How's your heart? If we could hook up a spiritual heart monitor to you and just test your heart out. Now, how you look wouldn't count. You know, the things you do wouldn't count. The things you say wouldn't count. It's your heart. How's your heart this morning towards God? Is your heart perfect towards Him? 
Now, when it says perfect, it doesn't mean that you, 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 you've never sinned and you're never going to sin in your life, because if it did, you know what? There's not a person in the world that could ever possibly have a perfect heart towards him. It means the idea of a heart that's trusting in him, that's truly depending upon him. Now, true dependence upon the Savior is always going to produce holiness in your life. But is your heart this morning depending upon him? Is your heart trusting in him? How's your heart this morning? When God looked down uh, on that day and he saw these people and their hearts were ready, I'm, I'm sure it was part of why it was the fullness of time. God has blessings for us today too. That God has not shut off his blessings and decided, well, you know what, listen, I sent my son and I've done all these things and now it's up to them. Uh, next thing they see, they, they, they hear is going to be the trumpet. God's got blessings for you today. And, you know, it's not just gifts, and it's not turkey, and it's not ham, and oh, good and fine and wonderful as all those things are. God's got gifts for you that are much deeper, much more real, much more powerful than that. But he wants your heart. He wants your heart to be right with him. He wants your heart to be trusting him, depending upon him. He wants you in the place where, like these others that we mentioned, he wants you in the place where you would say, Lord, I want your will. I want what you want, not what I want. You see, that would never have been Mary's plan for her life. Giving birth to, to the Messiah, that, that would have been exciting. But not that way. Not, not, not like that. That would never have been Joseph's plan for his life. He didn't want to get into a situation that was going to leave him, uh, <clears throat> looking like he just was... <clears throat> you know, looking after somebody's baby. He didn't, he didn't want to get into that situation. You know, <clears throat> when we come to the place where we're willing to do whatever God would have us to do, where we're willing to yield to him and let him have his way in our lives, you know, then we have a heart that's perfect towards him. And you know, <clears throat> God will work in your heart in that. In that. God will deal in your heart. God will work in your heart. God will bring you to that place. God will work in you and bring you to the place where you have a heart that's perfect towards him. Because in all honesty, there's nothing spiritual that we can do in and of ourselves. <clears throat> Without me, you can do nothing. It's God's work. Your request, your willingness, but it's God's work in you to bring you to that place where you yield it to him and willing to let him have his way and do whatever he wants to do in your life. And you know, sometimes, like with Abraham, it takes 25 years. And Abraham wasn't perfect all the time. He didn't get it all right, but you know what? He stayed on course. He stayed in the place where he was looking for God to do it, and he was waiting for God to do it. And God was doing stuff in Abraham's life all the way through. But God wants to take, and God wants to do a work in your, in, in your heart and in your life. And somehow there's a fullness of time when he's finished the work in your heart, and he says, now I can do it. And we don't have a heart monitor that would gauge it. I don't think we'd even know ourselves. I think if you'd asked Abraham, was he ready He'd have said, I don't know. He was ready, humanly speaking, but was he ready? I think he knew God well enough to know that in him there was no good thing. But you know what? God looked at Abraham and God said, he's ready. It's time. And God did it. And God can do things in your life, but he wants you to be ready. Now, <clears throat> let me say a couple of things to you about this. I don't think you can do anything by yourself to make it happen. But I think you can hinder what God's doing in your life because God wants to bring you there. I think you can get weary of waiting on God 
Take it in your own hands and walk away and never know the blessing that he had for you. I think many people have done that. I think many people have walked away from God and never known the full blessing that he had because they got weird. They got fed up waiting. I, I think you can get involved in sin and get drawn away from God, and I think you can spoil the things that God has for you. You can spoil the blessings he has, the things he wants to do in your life. I think there are ways that we can miss it. But you know what? I think if you'll keep confessing sin and coming back to him and saying, Lord, I want your way, whatever. If you'll keep coming back to the place where you yield to him and yield to him and yield to him, I think God's going to do something special in your life. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, or what your background is. God's going to do something special in your life. You see, the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking those whose heart is perfect towards him. Today, God's doing it. Do you know that God scanned your heart this morning? That God has given you a heart scan? That God is monitoring what's going on in your heart? He's looking at your heart and he's, and he's scanning it and, 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 he, and he looks at it and he, he wants to show himself strong on your behalf, but it's your heart he's dealing with. As we close, let me ask you just <clears throat> give you three, three things to think about. First of all, salvation. You know, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Anytime it's the fullness of time for salvation. This Christmas Day, 2012, is a great day for salvation. It's a great day to trust Christ as your Savior. This is a great day to get, get born again. If you're not born again today, you need to get born again. All you need to do is understand, I'm a sinner. And nobody in their right mind really contests that. I've heard a few, but I'm not sure that we're in their right mind. <clears throat> because we all know we don't get it right. We all know that we get it wrong. We all know that we miss things God, uh, God wants of us. You need to recognize the fact that you're a sinner, but you need to also recognize that there's a price tag on your sin. What's the price tag? Hell. I deserve to go to hell because of my sin. You say that's an awful thought. It's a dreadful thought, but I deserve it. And so does everybody in this room. But God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem them, to redeem us, to buy us back, to save us. God sent his, forth his son to save us. And listen, the Bible tells us that if we will realize our need and cry out to him, he will save us. He does it all. It's not a case of you cleaning up your act, you getting yourself straightened out, you learning to do right, and you uh, changing. You're, you're not able to change. You've never been able to change. But God can change you. God can turn things around in your life. So listen, if you're not saved, today is a great day to be saved. Let me ask you this, though, to those of you who are saved. <clears throat> You know, what about personal revival? Now, personal revival is not some thing that, you know, you hope to achieve someday and, well, listen, <clears throat> hopefully I'll get there someday. Personal revival is your birthright as a Christian. You're supposed to be revived, walking in his presence, enjoying his presence. You're supposed to be delighting in him. I mean, that's what Christianity is about. Christianity is not just another religion. The world doesn't need another religion. Christianity is this living, vibrant, loving, warm, full-hearted relationship with him. And you can have it. Listen, he wants to come to you <clears throat> in personal revival. The Bible says that uh, he dwelleth with him that is of a broken and a contrite heart. But oh, listen, when you come to the place where you're not standing on your pride and you're not kind of holding up for how good you are and you're not, and you're not thinking of how, how, how well you've done, you're, you're saying, Lord, be merciful to me. 
But when you've got a broken heart, God comes and dwells with you. You can have a personal revival. You can have it today. You could enjoy his presence today. And what about <clears throat> corporate revival, church revival? A revival that affects the whole church, a revival that affects people out there. You know, uh, somebody defined revival uh, as the powerful presence of God so that you could almost feel it. When you read the descriptions of, revival of the revivals of the past, it's incredible because, you know, it, there's just such a sense of the presence of God that even lost people feel it. That it just, that it just, it just grips everybody. Everybody's gripped by it. Now, <laughs> we're very well aware that we can't reach our nation. We're very well aware that we can't reach Dublin. We're very well aware that we can't even reach our families by ourselves. But you know what? There's a revival that's possible. But I can't help but think that the most important part of revival is not anything we're doing. The most important part of revival is our hearts. You know, when you go back and you look at revivals in the past, you find always somebody, and usually somebody's, whose hearts were caught. Lord, bring revival. Lord, revive your people. And you know what always happens? They always end up dealing with sin themselves first. They always end up dealing with sin. That's always what happens. God comes to them and says, okay, you want a revival for them? What about you? And God deals with them. And God tunes their hearts up. And then God comes in mighty power and tunes lots of hearts up. Listen, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And the Bible says this, if he gave us his son, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? There's nothing good that God will withhold from you. But there's one issue he keeps asking you of. How's your heart? Where's your heart with him? He knows the answer to it, but from your own perspective, how's your heart with God this morning? Oh, listen, <clears throat> If we will let him have his way in our hearts, because we can't do it. We're not able to do it. If we will let him have his way in our hearts, the greatest gifts, not only of Christmas, but the greatest gifts of heaven will be ours. Because it's hearts that he's looking for. This Christmas season, let's, let's do this. Let's let him have our hearts. Let's make a conscious, take a conscious moment and say, Lord, I want you to have my heart. I want to give it to you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or raise a hand even today. But what we're going to do now, just for a moment, we're just going to take a couple of moments and we're going to be quietly pray, just you and your God, and ask him to search your heart and give your heart to him and let him have your heart. Let him give you that heart that's perfect towards him that he can show himself strong on the behalf of. Let's go to him. Father, we come to you now. We ask you, Lord, would you do a work in hearts and lives today? And, oh, Lord, we realize that there's no greater sacrifice, there's no greater present we could give you than to give you our hearts today. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in these moments in hearts that they might be truly given to you, that you might honestly have your way in our hearts. And, Lord, might that be our gift to you this Christmas. Father, we thank you that you're here, and we know you always hear us, Lord. 
But, oh, Lord, I pray that because of this day and because of what's given to you today, Lord, that there would be lives that reach a place where you can pour a blessing upon us. And, oh, Lord, I do pray for our church, Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you would bless us. Bless us mightily, Lord, not for our sakes, because, Lord, we don't deserve it. For mercy's sake, but, Lord, for your sake, so that we can be used of you, Lord, to reach a people that you died for. Lord, would you bless, would you pour out your spirit upon us in a mighty way, in Jesus' name, amen.